Welcome to Theatetus, the podcast that turns thinking into an adventure. I'm your host, Justin, just an average guy with an insatiable curiosity about how we know what we know. Join me as I explore the power of thought and uncover the hidden truths of our inner worlds. This is Theatetus. Hi, and welcome back to the Theatetus podcast, where I'm demonstrating the tools of critical thinking and exploring epistemology. Today, I wanted to do an episode about critical thinking. So recently, I was sent a video uh, by a family member with a couple of people arguing, and uh, a point was made in the end that confirmed uh, what this family member wanted to believe, and therefore the family member thought that you know this was this was a good argument, and it needed to be shared. I had some concerns with it, and I, I've been thinking about it a lot ever since then. This podcast is a little bit of an outlet for me, and so <laughs> I decided that rather than argue with a family member about something that I know isn't going to be productive at all, I thought I'd just come on here and talk through how we can identify bad arguments. Another phrase to describe bad arguments are logical fallacies. I think we all know that uh, an argument can be bad if it's inaccurate, if we're using, you know, false information or, you know, any number of reasons. But there are tools that exist in order for us to analyze an argument and see how sound the logic is that takes people from a certain set of premises and leads them to a conclusion. And so that's what I wanted to talk about today. So I wanted to, I, I think I've been able to pull the audio from this clip that I was sent. It's two, uh, looks like men from India or somewhere in that region arguing about science and atheism versus belief, and specifically the, the tradition of the story of Adam and Eve. I'll go ahead and play that, and you'll hear the two different voices. Uh, one is the atheist, and the other is the believer. There's no proof that Adam and Eve existed. That is the point. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you have a mother and father? Don't change the subject. No, no, it's, it's on the topic. Do you have a mother and father? Yes, I do, of course. Okay, take that far back as you can go. Use your scientific atheism to do that. Yeah. Far back as you can go. Where are you going to get to? We're going to get to the Big Bang and chimpanzees. No, 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 no. We're not going to get to Adam no, no, The Big Bang happened way before the chimpanzees. Yeah, but... And the chimpanzees and humans split about six million years ago. So we're not talking about that. I'm talking to you about the first human being. We're not Adam and Eve. We don't even know what okay. their names are. Well, okay. Let's say you don't know their names. I'm not even arguing that. Will you go back in time and what happens to the population of man? Increases or decreases? In increases. Uh, if you go back in time. Yeah, there were very few of them. Very, they get less and less and less and less. Until you come to, this is using your scientific head, the first human beings who were able to procreate and bring on the children. Yeah? Yes, yes, yes. Let's forget their names. How many were there? Two, probably. So if you didn't catch that at the end, the believer, he, he looks at the camera and says, finished. Almost as if, like, I won. I got him. Uh, because I got him to admit that there had to originally be two humans in order for the rest of us to exist. I, I watched that clip, and while I'm not an atheist, I sympathized with the the atheist trying to make this point simply because the the believer changes the argument on him 
he, he actually, what he does is he takes a certain set of premises and acts as if they prove a conclusion that actually doesn't follow from those premises. Uh, the conclusion that Adam and Eve existed and that they lived in a garden of Eden and that they ate some fruit and that God cast them out of the garden and that they were the first people ever on earth. The point that he makes with this, this atheist does not prove this. This is what we call a non sequitur argument. Uh, it's, it actually has a name. It's one of the logical fallacies that I want to talk about today. It, non sequitur is Latin for does not follow. And by, by changing the argument, he can claim, hey, I, I made my point. I won. We, originally, we all originally came from two humans. But it doesn't follow that the story of Adam and Eve is then true. So anyway, I've been thinking a lot about that. And it's, it's a popular clip on social media right now. And it just it made me want to talk about it. Uh, in this this forum. So I want to talk about some of the other logical fallacies, um, not just non sequiturs. So um, first of all, let's talk about what what logical fallacies are intended to do. Basically, a logical fallacy occurs in an argument or or in your your own internal argument, your own thinking you can commit logical fallacies. But really, an argument is where you have some sort of conclusion that follows from a certain set of premises. And when you use logic or a lack of logic that doesn't make that connection of how those premises actually do support that conclusion, that is a logical fallacy. Now, there are so many ways that this can be done that we, we can't identify all of them. We can identify really common ones, and that's what I want to talk about today. But sometimes there's this illusion out there that there's just this certain set of logical fallacies, and those are all the ways that you can screw up an argument or make a bad argument. And that's simply not true. There are all sorts of ways. There's, there's actually a little bit of debate um, among philosophers about the the usefulness of logical fallacies just because they the lists that we we have and often teach aren't comprehensive there are all sorts of ways that you can use bad logic and because of that they they question the usefulness of of this when teaching people critical thinking Um, some actually opt for teaching good positive reasoning skills rather than focusing on logical fallacies because it gives people the tools to actually make good arguments rather than just identify bad ones and even misidentify bad ones. A lot of times you'll see in pop culture some of these logical fallacies get used and they get used inaccurately. So just just a little bit of background on them, but I think it is it is useful to know some of the most common ones because they they occur over and over and over again. Uh, when I first learned about these in college, I was in an English class, and my teacher, she actually would show us news clips in class. She'd show us clips from Stephen Colbert, she'd show us clips from CNN, she'd show us clips from Fox News, and she would ask us to then write papers about the logical fallacies that we identified in those clips. 
And that exercise helped me to start seeing how often these come up within especially political discourse. They, they're all over the place. I actually started calling some news networks logical fallacy factories, uh, just because everything that's talked about involves some sort of logical fallacy. So I think they are very useful, though I do want to spend a future episode talking about good reasoning skills and not just focus on being able to identify logical fallacies, because we also need to be able to build good, strong reasoning and good, strong logic to defend our conclusions. So a little bit of background on logical fallacies. So they actually date all the way back to Aristotle. He's the first person that's trying to make some kind of comprehensive list of all the ways that you can make a bad argument. That list is actually pretty good. A, a lot of the logical fallacies that we still reference come from that list. And then through the years, they we've you know had others that have been added by other great minds, uh, people like John Locke, uh, John Stuart Mill, people like Descartes, and just all, all these different philosophers. They've been able to identify common ways that people make bad arguments. Also, as, as we're talking about logical fallacies, I do want to add this, this one disclaimer that there is a fallacy called the fallacy fallacy, uh, where somebody can just assume that because someone uses a logical fallacy in their argument, that it then means the argument is wrong. That is a fallacy. That is not true. Somebody can come to a correct conclusion based on bad logic. The problem is we don't know collectively if their conclusion is correct or not because they've used bad logic. So just because they've used a logical fallacy does not mean that they are incorrect. They can still be correct. The problem is, is that we don't know. Because it was based on bad logic, it could very well be wrong. But there is the slight probability that they, by pure luck came to a correct conclusion using bad reasoning. So just want to throw that out there, that we can't just take these and use them as a hammer. Uh, sometimes when people learn about logical fallacies, uh, it's the, the hammer and everything looks, looks like a nail. Um, we need to keep in mind that we also need strong reasoning skills to accompany logical fallacies. But anyway, as I said before, I think they're, they're worth knowing in order to identify some of the common bad arguments that are out there. So without further ado, let's jump into this. So the first one I want to talk about is the ad hominem fallacy. So this is Latin for to the man. And what it is, is it's attacking the person instead of the argument. You will see this with politicians all the time, especially in big public debates. If there is a policy that a politician does not want to address, a common tactic is to attack their opponent and, and something personal about their opponent. Um, Donald Trump was a master at this, where uh, there would be some policy debate with, uh, especially during the, the 2016 election, where there would be some policy debate that 
he would give some short answer on and then Hillary Clinton would start going on it. And then when he would give it, be given a chance to respond, he would start attacking her and talking about lock her up. She needs, you know, corrupt, needs to go to jail. I, I don't want to just pick on Donald Trump that you'll see this in arguments against Donald Trump. People are arguing that, you know, we shouldn't adopt any of his policies because in some ways he was an immoral person or he behaved poorly on Twitter. When really his behavior doesn't have anything to do with his policies. Somebody can be a very immoral person, but actually have really good policies about something. So uh, we, if we want to argue a certain point, uh, we need to focus on the actual point and not get distracted by attacking people and attacking and making personal attacks against someone. So that's the ad hominem fallacy. Another fallacy is an appeal to faith. Now, I know this one's going to be kind of controversial for faithful people that are probably among my, my listeners, but really, faith, by definition, it relies on a belief that doesn't rest on logic or evidence. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. I mean, pe- faithful people will, will say that proudly, that uh, their faith does not rest on logic or evidence. It rests on uh, something else, on their faith in God or on communication that they've had with God, where God has, has uh, told them his will, told them what is true. And that can be a very good personal thing. But when we're having a collective debate about something, we can't appeal to faith as evidence of our point. For example, if I want to argue that the Ten Commandments should be made law and that all violators should be put to death, and I get pushback from somebody saying, well, why, why the Ten Commandments? I don't agree with those. And if my reasoning is, well, God made them, and I have faith in God and that those came from God— Therefore, I believe that they should be the law. That's, that's, that's such a personal experience. You can't hold somebody else to that. that. That's not based on logic or reason. You need to have reason in order to convince somebody else with an opposing opinion to your side. And that's just how it works in a pluralistic society. And that's what we, we live in. Whether you like it or not, we live in a pluralistic society where... People are allowed to have different beliefs, different moral systems, and if we want to convince somebody to our opinion, we need to base it on reason and evidence. We can't base it on appeals to faith. Okay, next fallacy, the burden of proof. So this one often occurs with, again, with believers in God versus atheists. So Atheists will say, you know, there's no evidence that God exists. So trying to hold me to some standard of you should live the Ten Commandments, and if you don't live the Ten Commandments, then that means you're a bad person. And if there's pushback on that, saying, well, who says? Like, why, why, do, you, why do you get to determine that that's the criteria for what, who, what a bad person is? And somebody says, well, it's because God said so. And then the response is, well, 
how do you know that? How do you know that actually came from God? And then the response is, well, you don't have any evidence that it didn't come from God. So we stand on equal ground. And that's simply not the case. Really, the burden of proof fallacy is when the person making a claim or drawing some sort of conclusion places the other person that's simply questioning that places the burden on them of providing evidence for their belief. And that just doesn't work. It's the classic example is when somebody says, I believe in God and someone, an atheist says there is no evidence for God. And then the response is, well, there's no evidence that there is no God. When really the person making the claim that God exists The burden for providing proof rests with them because they are making the claim. So you'll see that one often in in religious settings. And then uh, it it also can happen with like uh, another example is, you know, somebody saying, prove that aliens exist. And somebody says, well, you prove that they don't exist. I'm going to believe until you can prove that they don't exist. When really the burden for providing evidence rests with the person making the claim that aliens exist. So that's the burden of proof fallacy. The next one is the appeal to the crowd. I think this one, there's some overlap with other fallacies, but I think it's important enough that I I pulled it out on its own and I'm calling it the appeal to the crowd fallacy. It's when there's an aim to sway popular support by appealing to perceived popular opinions rather than facts and reasons. You could actually substitute this for common sense. Somebody will say, well, it's just common sense that we shouldn't do X, Y, Z. When really that that's not necessarily true. You're, you're just appealing to what some subset of the population might think is popular and saying, well, it's just common sense because all these people believe it. When there might be valid reasons to question it, that 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 in itself is a fallacy when you want to stop the debate about something and claim that you've you've made your conclusion and you've won the argument because your argument aligns with common sense for example so an example of that is like somebody saying well no one wants to pay higher taxes so raising taxes therefore is bad policy when that's not necessarily true. And someone might say, well, no, it's just common sense. People don't want that. But there are valid arguments for raising taxes. There are also valid arguments for not raising taxes. And that's the discussion that actually needs to happen. Just claiming, well, one's common sense. It shuts down any debate that might actually prove productive and help us get to what the best course of action actually is. So yeah, that's the appeal to the crowd. Uh, The next one is the appeal to tradition. This is simply one where we just use the existence of some kind of ritual or prior belief as, as evidence of the merit of that belief. So belief in God has been around since the beginning of time. Therefore, God is real. That doesn't necessarily follow. It doesn't mean, I mean, it is an interesting point to be made that can be further explored for sure, but it's not the end all of the argument. You can't just end the argument there and say, 
Oh, I've proved it, proven it. God exists because people have always believed in God. People have always believed in lots of loony things throughout history until we get to a point in history where some kind of evidence is found to prove the contrary, and we then realize, wow, that was a loony belief. Not not, not saying that a belief in God is necessarily loony, just just that we just because we always have believed in something doesn't mean it's not loony. So that's the appeal to tradition fallacy. Uh, the next one is an appeal to authority. This is where this was a, a common one used in uh, the COVID-19 pandemic where people would appeal to authoritative experts on immunology and virology and just about how the virus would spread and claim that the all all public decisions should be made by those authoritative experts on how viruses spread where that's not necessarily the best way to decide a course of action there is a valid discussion to be had there of okay well how do we weigh those things against other priorities such as economic ones or mental health or it needs to be a bigger discussion than just appealing to that authority. Also, this is why dissent needs to be permitted. Uh, authorities can be wrong. Authority figures, experts often do provide better data, and often data should also be peer-reviewed so that it's coming from many, many experts, not just a single expert. But just because it came from an expert, it does not follow that the the conclusion is truth. There needs to be room for further discussion uh, about it. So that's the appeal to authority. Next one is the argument from omniscience. So this one's uh, pretty simple where people just make a claim like, everyone loves football. All of us know that. The only way that you could actually know that is if you were omniscient, you ha- you were all-knowing. You knew what everyone was thinking. That's the argument from omniscience, where somebody's claiming to know what everyone else thinks, and that's just simply not true. We can gather data, but even data is going to, like, even uh, gathering statistics from a population, there's going to be some margin of error. We can't know a hundred percent exactly what everyone thinks about something we can approximate it but we can't know it a hundred percent when we're working with a large population so that's the argument from omniscience when somebody claims to know what everyone thinks uh the bandwagon fallacy is next this is really similar to the appeal to the crowd but it's just simply when somebody concludes an idea has merit because many believe many people believe it or practice it so an example of that would be many people believe in astrology, therefore astrology is true. And that's not necessarily the case. Just because a lot of people believe in it does not mean it is true. If you went back several centuries and asked somebody about the earth being the center of the universe, they would say, yeah, that's absolutely true. Everybody believes that. Again, 
the argument from omniscience <laughs> and the bandwagon fallacy. They would say, well, I mean, all my neighbors say that. All my Everybody in my town says that. The, the center of the universe is the earth. So therefore, center of the universe must be the earth. Where that's that proved not to be true. So just because everyone believes it does not mean that something is true. Next fallacy is begging the question. This is an interesting one. I think this is a sneaky one that often gets used where the conclusion of the argument is actually based on an unproven assumption and and it just gets snuck in there as if that is that that unproven assumption has already been proven. This is really similar to circular reasoning. So uh, and a, a really simple example of that is somebody saying like, well, the law should be obeyed because it's the law and we should obey the law. There's an unproven assumption there that the law should be obeyed. Another good example is uh, when people use things, this is kind of similar to the common sense argument, but they they draw a conclusion that's actually based on the unproven premise so something like freedom of the press is one of the most important hallmarks of a modern open society because modern open societies value the ability of the press to report what's happening. It, you see how that, that's really circular. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that their argument's wrong, but it's just really poorly constructed. So another example would be I know that the leader of my church or my pastor or whoever, that when he gives his sermons on Sunday, that he is speaking for God and that's God's voice. And I know that because he has taught us in his sermons that he receives inspiration from God to give us God's will. Can you see how that's, that, that's circular? Where the reason that we are believing that this guy is telling us what God wanted him to tell us is because he told us that God wanted him to tell us what God wanted us to know. Like it, it's, it's really circular. So that's begging the question. Next one is, so this, I threw this in here. It's not really a logical fallacy, but it's so related. I threw in confirmation bias confirmation bias is where we go through, I, I talked about this in my first episode, I think, but it's really where we just, we avoid evidence that disconfirms our biases and we are drawn to the evidence that confirms our biases. And this is something that just happens naturally because our brains don't like things that challenge our worldview and that don't fit in with our belief system. So, this commonly happens when uh, we do things like, I only watch one cable news network because they agree with my views. And I never go and look at another news network because they don't agree with my views. That would be a form of confirmation bias. It's uncomfortable to watch the news network that's telling me things that I don't agree with. And it's really nice to listen to the news network that's telling me all the things that I want to agree with. So let's see. The next one here is, I don't know that this is necessarily a, a 
logical fallacy, but it also is really closely related. It's confusing correlation with causation. So just because there's a relationship between a cause and a result doesn't necessarily mean that the cause actually caused that result. So I have a whole book sitting here on my shelf. It's called Spurious Correlations, where it shows, it's, it, it plots data of things that just happen to occur uh, at the same time. And it, it, like uh, it, they, they appear to have some kind of relationship. So absurd things like gallons of uh, ice cream consumed per year in Finland and shark attacks per year in Florida, like stuff like that, where there clearly isn't any relation there. But if you plot the data, you can show a positive correlation. That it's just it's totally by chance that those two things happen to be correlated. But they, one isn't causing the other. Fin, Finnish people eating ice cream is not causing sharks to attack more in Florida. But this can also happen not just with data. Uh, you know, when you're looking at a graph, this can also happen with, you know, a, a key example is the performance of the stock market based on the who the president is or which party is in power in the United, Sta- United States. There are so many factors that influence the American economy that assigning that to just whoever the president is at a certain time, that that's confusing correlation with causation. Just because, you know, one president was in office when the economy didn't do particularly well doesn't necessarily mean that that president caused it. Another good example is the, I see this one come up all the time where people claim that uh, Trump was the, he's the only president to have lost 3 million jobs. Um, during his presidency, you know, he, he ended his presidency with 3 million fewer jobs in America than when he started. But I, there is an argument I, I'm aware of out there that you could say that he indirectly caused this, but really the cause of that was the COVID-19 pandemic that occurred all over the world where economies were getting shut down. So it's hard to say that that was all caused by Donald Trump. So that's the, that's confusing correlation with causation. And that's another one that happens all the time, especially when it comes to political parties and the performance of the economy. Uh, Next one is false dichotomies. So a false dichotomy is when you're considering only the extremes of any position and implying that only one of two outcomes is, is inevitable. I actually had uh, an example of this at work recently where our CEO, he asked us to uh, look at some some software uh, options for solving some of our business problems. Uh, we might be able to go buy some software to solve those problems, or we might be able to build some solutions on our own uh, that didn't, didn't require us to spend any money on software. I won't go into the details of this, but basically the member of the executive team that I was working with to present this information 
wanted to present it as we can either go and buy this software solution or we have to accept a whole bunch of increase in labor costs because we don't have the software to solve the problem and we're going to just have to hire more people in order to solve the problem instead of automating it through software. And I was in charge of presenting this to our CEO and I was doing this presentation and he pushed back and said, are those really the only two options? Isn't there some middle ground here? And I I conceded and said, you know what? You're right. This is a false dichotomy. And it really was. There were middle options that we could pursue. The business leader that that had asked me to build the presentation that way just really wanted to buy the software. And so they wanted to present it as two extreme options that would nudge the CEO towards buying the software. Anyway, so that's an example of a, a false dichotomy. These, again, occur all the time in politics where we can either confiscate all guns in the country or we can just let everyone own as many assault weapons as they want. Those aren't the only two options. Uh, Another example is abortions. We can either let everybody get abortions whenever they want, or we ban all abortions. Uh, That's a false dichotomy. There are middle ground options. So that's a really common one that you'll see pop up is the false dichotomy. Another one is false equivalence. This is where we take two opposing arguments and we make them appear logically or morally equivalent when they are in fact not. So I actually recently heard uh, one of these where a leader of a, a company was talking about how the employees of the company were complaining a lot about some of the decisions of leadership. And this leader this wasn't my company that I work for, um, but this leader did this presentation to the company and said, well, all of you make a lot of mistakes too. And, you know, sometimes you don't send an email on time or sometimes you don't communicate with our customers the right way or get a, you know, follow a process the right way where, you know, employees were complaining about like big, big business mistakes that were made where the that caused the company to lose a lot of money and just and caused a lot of low employee morale and and things like that and this business leader was basically trying to make this false equivalence that employees making small mistakes on you know not sending an email on time was somehow equivalent to the CEO choosing to invest hundreds of millions of dollars into something that was not not profitable Uh, That's a false equivalence because the CEO is in the position that he's in or these business leaders are in the positions they're in. They they're paid more because they have to make tougher decisions with higher stakes. So it is not fair to put those mistakes on level ground with the mistakes of just, you know, your everyday employees that are making a lot less money. So that's a false equivalence. Next one is called the no true Scotsman. The no true Scotsman fallacy. I'm not sure where it got the name, but it's where you'll see this one again all the time. You discount evidence that refutes your claim because 
you believe that the source of that evidence isn't a valid source. So let me explain a little bit further with an example. So an example of that would be somebody stating, no true American would oppose U.S. foreign policy, so we should dismiss those that are critical of it. So uh, another one with like uh, Donald Trump, and again, I... I know I said this on the first podcast, but I want to reiterate it because I've used some political examples here. Politics is just full of these these logical fallacies, and so I'm I'm trying to use examples here. I'm not trying to promote one lo- um, political party over another, or like I, I want everybody that listens to feel like they can they can come here and just learn about critical thinking and epistemology without me without any, you know, analysis of their, their political beliefs. It's just that both sides of the, the political spectrum in the United States commit a lot of logical fallacies. So it's a, it's a very ripe field for me to pull examples from. But the no true Scotsman fallacy, Donald Trump liked to use this one a lot when he was president, and he probably still does, claiming that only true patriots vote for him. And that anybody that doesn't vote for him isn't a real patriot. That is the no true Scotsman fallacy. Basically saying that your vote shouldn't count if you don't vote for me. You're, you're not true enough to be valid is, is what this fallacy is really getting at. So you'll see that one come up a lot as well. Another example is, this is the first one that I talked about, is a non sequitur. It's Latin for does not follow. Uh, that was the the one in the atheist versus the believer debate that I that prompted this whole whole episode. Uh, another example of that would be transgender people have higher rates of depression, therefore God hates transgender people. You can see how the one does not necessarily follow the other because transgender people have higher rates of depression. It doesn't necessarily mean that. God hates transgender people. There, there are a lot of steps in between there that need to be clarified. There could be lots of reasons for higher rates of depression and does not necessarily follow that it's because God hates transgender people. Next one is the red herring. This is basically just a, a tool people use to change the subject <laughs> is the way I've experienced it. It's attempting to hide a weakness in an argument by drawing attention away from the real issue. This one occurs, at least in my experience, this one occurs all the time when you try to talk about difficult subjects with people you know, whether that's politics, religion, whatever. So an example of it would be Democrats may have supported defunding the police, but Republicans say crazier stuff on Twitter. The red herring, you're just trying to distract and... send the the argument off in another direction rather than argue the problems with Democrats defunding the police versus the the benefits that may have come from that. I, I don't know if there were any, but um, in, rather than debating that, you're instead trying to throw out a red herring. Think of a, a herring and the, it's a fish. Fish are really smelly. You're going to lead somebody off off of your the scent that they're looking for because the red herring scent is going to overpower it. You're just trying to distract 
And this one occurs a lot whenever I'm trying to discuss something with people on a difficult issue. This is, I run into this and it drives me absolutely crazy. Okay, the next one is the slippery, slippery slope fallacy. This one suggests that one step or action will inevitably lead to similar, similar small steps until highly undesirable consequences occur. I think this one was a big part of the gay marriage debate in the United States. I, I heard this all the time, that if we let gay marriage become legal, then we would eventually legalize pedophilia or bestiality, when that's not necessarily true. There may be arguments for why those things could follow, but you need to connect the dots. The slippery slope fallacy is just assuming that, well, once the first domino goes, then they're all, they all are necessarily going to follow, when that may or may not be true. There needs to be further discussion and analysis of it. So that's the slippery slope argument. You'll see that one in politics a lot too, especially when it comes to debating socialism and stuff like that. The next one is, this isn't necessarily a fallacy, but it's it's a really bad way of constructing an argument, so I threw it in here. It's just using anecdotal evidence. When you use a small sample size as evidence of a universal argument, um, you'll see this one all the time, all the time. An example is, my parents smoked all their lives and never got cancer. Smoking must not cause cancer. You have one small anecdote that goes contrary to the wider trend, and so then you assume, oh, well, that trend is disproven. When that's not necessarily the case, if you look at the comprehensive data, it is very clear that smoking is directly related to cancer. So, yeah, that's an example. Uh, you'll also run into this one with, like, uh, the, the debates on gun control. When everybody looks at the latest shooting to discuss, oh, look, this gun law did or didn't prevent this shooting. And this, you know, this person, this officer having a gun on him to protect people did or didn't prevent this shooting. Like, everybody just focuses on the one anecdote rather than more holistic data of, okay, how does a concealed carry law that allows people to have concealed carry weapons uh, without getting any kind of permit, how does that prevent shootings? If, if you're looking at just one incident, that doesn't tell you a whole lot. You've got to look at the data of, okay, how, does, how, how are those two things linked? Next one is the straw man fallacy. Uh, this one is so, so common. You will often see this one on things like some of the political pundits out there. Ben Shapiro loves to argue against straw man arguments. Uh, the guys on Pod Save America love to argue against straw man arguments. What a straw man argument is, it's when you state an opponent's argument in an extreme or exaggerated form or you attack a weaker, irrelevant portion of an opponent's argument in order to make your position look stronger. So one example of this would be Democrats are demanding abortions to occur after delivery and therefore must be opposed at all costs. That's really a straw man argument. 
when there's probably a lot more nuance to if you look at Democrats as a whole, I, I think I've seen numbers like they the majority do not call for abortions to be legal, you know, after delivery. I don't know if it's actually considered an abortion at, at that point, but that is a very small subset. And I've actually seen this used as you know, a way to debate against abortion, that all Democrats want to legalize um, abortions even up until after birth, immediately after a baby is born. And that's just a misrepresentation of the argument for abortion. And so it makes it easy to say, we need to, you know, fight against this because they want to actually murder babies that have been born. Like that, that seems like a really no brainer. Like, of course we should fight against that. Of course we shouldn't support that. Once the baby's born, that's murder. And you've created this straw man that makes it really easy to take down your opponent's argument. That one drives me crazy. Okay, next one is the appeal to emotion. Uh, so again, I'm not sure that I'd actually call this one of the logical fallacies, but it's closely related. It's just where somebody is appealing to your emotions to win an argument rather than actual logic or evidence. This is, again, another one that comes up with uh, like like school shootings. Children are being brutally murdered because that that is a horrific thing to read about and can lead to the conclusion, we must therefore confiscate all guns. And that's that argument needs a lot more scrutiny. But because our emotions have been heightened, we might be more likely to buy into it. And then finally, the last one is called the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. It's when you ignore contrary evidence and you connect a, a bunch of like unrelated instances of supporting evidence and you thereby insert meaning into randomness. So an example of this would be somebody saying the Forbes top 100 all took big financial risks and ended up successful. Therefore, taking big financial risks leads to success. What you're doing is you're failing to consider all of the people that have also taken big financial risks and failed. We never hear about those people because they, you know, they don't end up in Forbes. And therefore, we don't get the full sample of the data in order to understand what's actually occurring like does that premise does the conclusion actually follow from that premise that taking big financial risks leads to success uh, if we consider all of the people that don't succeed if we were able to gather all of that data we probably would find that taking huge financial risks while it is a key ingredient to those being successful it actually more often leads to horrendous failure there's a really good book that actually discusses this phenomenon in depth. It's called Fooled by Randomness. I highly recommend it. Great book. But yeah, that's the Texas sharpshooter fallacy where we're connecting a bunch of events without looking at the events that disprove the conclusion. So yeah, that's my that's my list of logical fallacies. Again, uh, I would encourage you to use these as your viewing the news, discussing politics with friends, family, 
looking at memes online, especially, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you will see that there are logical fallacies everywhere. Keep in mind that just because a logical fallacy exists within an argument doesn't necessarily mean that the argument's wrong, but it doesn't mean, what it does is it means that you can't rely on that argument being right. You need to do more homework and see if there's actually good evidence and logic to support the argument. Yep, those are some of the logical fallacies. Avoid them when you are discussing controversial topics and... Yeah, I'll see you next time when we should we should be able to talk to Isabel, who we started an interview with uh, last on my last episode. Just with some scheduling conflicts, we weren't able to meet up, but I think my next episode in the next week or two, I'll be able to meet with her and to dive into her beliefs a little bit more. And so it should be a good discussion. So don't go anywhere. We'll tune in next time for that discussion with Isabel. Thanks. Bye.